Let's take a good hard look at the waiver wire for fantasy basketball. What the hell's going on in Memphis? There was also a trade. Do we need to pay attention? No. Let's talk about all of the things across the waiver wire. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and it's a murder on the dance floor and you'd better not kill the groove. I'm also the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50 plus infections. Get yours today at JaceMedical.com. Use the code LOCKEDON to get $20 off your order. That is J-A-S-E Medical.com. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free. We are available on all platforms. You are here double banging it. You're watching the video. You listen to the audio. You hit a thumbs up on the video. You subscribe. You notification ballot. You leave comments on the bottom. What was your reaction to the big, big trade between the Pistons, <laughs> between the Pistons and the Wizards today? I swear to God, the Pistons. What is going on with Troy Weaver? Not only does he pay two, first, two second round picks to acquire Marvin Bagley when he could have just got him for free in the offseason, but then he gives him a contract that literally no one was going to pay, three years, $40 million, which was, the, sorry, 337, I think it was, which was very clearly an overplay at, pay at the time. You can go check my Twitter feed for it if you'd like to see my reactions to it. And then, um, two year, well, one and a half years into it, he has to pay two more second round picks to dump the contract. So that's four second round picks plus Trey Lyles just to not have Marvin Bagley on your roster, which you could have achieved by never having Marvin Bagley on your roster. The man is a genius. He is just unbelievable with what he does. And what we get here, Gallinari and um, Mike Muscala joining the fray while you trade away another wing. Not that Isaiah Lives is good because he is bad, but you attach him and second round picks. The Pistons are negative in terms of their second round picks moving forward. For a team that's tanking, they have fewer second round picks than they should. Every team should have one every year. They've got five over the next seven years because they keep doing this dumb stuff. Gallinari will probably have some sort of a role, but Gallinari and Muscala are both 30-plus, like 35-year-old, former like power forwards who now really only play center. I guess Gallo can play a little bit at the four, can't defend, and they're shooting. They're built as shooters. They don't do that anymore either. I was going on with this team. Just again, so if you want to know that I've had, and I, I know there'll be someone watching this who asked the question, I've had these questions thrown at me, and apologies to these people, but I, I do need to say this. Someone said, man, is, is Bagley just going to start at power forward next to Gafford? No, he is not. No, he's not. Because that would mean Kyle Kuzma would move to the bench, which obviously is not happening. Or, you know, Kuzma could move to the three and Avdia moves to the bench. Not happening. Is Bagley going to cut into what Gafford does? I would be very shocked if he did. I guess you never know. It does help that they now have a feasible center because they had no backup center at all. It was part of the reason why I was into Gafford in draft season is because they had literally nobody to play center. Nobody else. Bagley's not very good, but what he is, is a quite good scorer. And if I'm in a deeper league, this actually does help Bagley. So I'm being a little bit facetious with some of this stuff because it does help Bagley somewhat because he was like in and out of the rotation so they could play James Wiseman, another failed, ridiculous Troy Weaver move. Now Bagley might play 18 minutes a night. He might score 11, 12 points with five rebounds, which is fine for deeper leagues. 
Someone asked me, well, how many minutes does Bagley need to become 12-team relevant? Like, probably 30, and even then, that's probably not going to be there because he's not good for category leagues because he's bad at so many different categories, but he gets points and rebounds. For points leagues, sure. Get him 26 a night, and he'll be there. But that's just not happening unless there's an injury, I would guess. The next question someone asked me, does Isaiah Livers cut into Jordan Poole? Like, no, he doesn't. Isaiah Livers is a 3-4 to begin with. So he's going to be in there playing that backup role that Gallinari was playing some night. So Bagley backs up Gafford, and then you get... Um, old mate like uh, Livers who, who might play there but also the guy that's been getting those minutes is they shift Avdia to the four and they play Kulabali at the three and I just don't Isaiah Livers has been terrible and I just don't think there's any impact what, really whatsoever on that um, this is just a trade for us to laugh at Detroit again as they position themselves to make up. This is what the thing I worry about with Detroit is that they're doing this stuff to clear cap space. No one's going there. So they can make another mistake or so they can set things up to make another move, which will almost definitely be a mistake. And if it's not, I would definitely praise it. If it is a good move, I will praise it. But how many of those have the Detroit Pistons have had? The answer is none. Let's look now um, at the waiver wire across the NBA. If you've got any comments on that Pistons-Wizards trade, drop them down below if you have any specific questions or comments or whatever, like if you think it's good or bad, whatever, do you think there's any impact whatsoever? Again, the only thing I think is it just does help solidify Bagley. It could possibly solidify what Kevin Knox does in Detroit, but with Isaiah Stewart back, his value is a little bit pushed back there anyway. Um, but yeah, Gallinari is going to play some of those minutes. I just don't think that there's a huge change apart from Bagley plays every night instead of playing half the season because James Wiseman... I was going to say, for some reason, exists, which is unfair. We know why he exists. His mummy and his daddy had a little bit too much one night, and then things happened, but that's where we went. All right, let's um, talk muster roster players. What do we mean, muster roster players? I'm looking short-term, two to three weeks. Guys are available in 35-plus percent of leagues, and you just can't let them sit on your wire. We are going to be sitting, looking here at category leagues first, and this guy is still available in over 40% of leagues, and it's Timothy John McConnell. Come on. Come on. Just come on. What are you doing? Going at him. There's, I don't need to talk about that. Alex Caruso. Um, I was getting a little worried about where things were heading with Caruso. And then last game, it was back on track. I'm like, ah, good. Okay, I feel a bit better. Because these minutes were okay, but all his per-minute production was down. I was like, what's going on here? But no, no, he's all right. So I think he should be on a 12-team category league roster. Probably 10 as well. Trey Jones should be rostered everywhere. I don't know what's going to happen in three weeks or four weeks or six weeks, whether they decide to move away from Jones or they make a trade for a point. I don't know what happens. But what I do know at the moment is that Jones is playing... Uh, a lot of minutes. Also, be really cautious at looking at Jones's recent production. He's shooting, I think, 70% from two and 56% overall from the field, and that is going to fall off in a huge, huge way. That still makes him must roster, but when you look and go, well, he's actually been 70th over the last week or two weeks, that is because the shooting is just unrealistic. So just be cautious of that part. But Trey Jones is a must roster player. Um, and then we go to Memphis, to Xavier Tillman. I'll also put a level of caution here. If I remember correctly, and maybe I don't, when I talked about Tillman, he was someone I grabbed early on in the season when Adams went down, when he's going to be their starter, and then they just didn't play him. Then they went and signed Biombo, and then Tillman got hurt, and then he was all over the place. He was getting zeros. He was getting DMPs. He was getting three-minute games. Oh, what's going on here? And then, of course, they waved Biombo, and I was like, okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. We can look here at Tillman as an option. But my worry was that they would play a little bit of more Santiago Dharma at the four, Jaron at the five, and Tillman would be fine as a sort of fringe pickup, and let's see where it goes. What has happened now? It's very easy to say, cut Biombo and Tillman's gone bananas. Look at his game yesterday. What do you have? Six steals and huge performance. It's very easy to say that. But it's also very easy to ignore the fact that both Aldama and Jackson were out. So that potential alignment that I thought might happen of Jackson 5, Aldama 4, there was no way that that could happen. Their backup center was David Roddy. 
who was also their starting four. That, so when you look at that game, I'm not saying not to add Tillman, you should add Tillman, but the level of production from last game and the level of reliance they had on him last game is just not most likely what's going to happen. Now, you could easily make the argument that Jaron will get a fake injury and be done for the season. I don't think that'll happen yet. In March, it definitely will. But for now, the fact that both Jaron and Santi are out have bumped Tillman's value up, and I'm not sure that's really being talked about. DiVincenzo, the big ragu. Um, his permanent production has been really strong, obviously. He's definitely the guy that I prefer over Grimes very easily, obviously, and over Josh the Hitman Hart. He can have a few stinkers, and the low minutes upside is annoying, but I still think he should be rostered. And the other one who's still available 35% plus is Jalen Suggs. And you'll look at the last two games and go, Josh, what's wrong with you? Well, he was sick in both of those games. His minutes were down. Um, so people may have dropped him after that. I would go in a category league. I would go back and re-add Jalen Suggs. You'll notice there's a couple of names not mentioned on this that I will talk about later on, so don't worry. But these are just the top six guys that I see who are top 100-ish guys over the next few weeks. So I just think you need to go and grab. If you want to talk points leagues, some of the names translate across. You've got Timothy John over there, McConnell, Xavier Tillman, Trey Jones. I've got Jaden Ivey, John Kaminga, and Karis Levert as the three different ones there. I would still roster Jaden Ivey in 12-team category leagues without any question, although he does have a problem with percentages. Kaminga also has a lack of peripheral stats that aren't points and rebounds, and his role is a little bit cloudy still with the return of Draymond Green. He was great last game, but... How do I trust him getting 30 minutes coming off the bench or 25 coming off? The, where does it all fit? Like I'm not really sure. What I am sure is that Wiggins doesn't work. But what I don't know is where Kaminga fits. But in points leagues, I would definitely prioritize him. And category leagues, less so. He's just not as good of a category league player. And the other one there is Karis LeVert. Totally reasonable in a category league too. But in a points league, um, he's way more valuable in that scenario. Until Garland comes back and then we can reassess that. In terms of looking at some of those category league guys that I talked about, like an Alex Caruso, like I don't really think he's much of a points league guy. Jalen Suggs, like fine, but they're not as priority. It is getting an Ivy or a Kaminga onto your team in this sort of points league setting. Today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical and the Jace Case. There are supply chain issues with medications all across the world at the moment. You've maybe maybe come into that with some of the medications that you take, but we don't ever want to be sitting in a situation where it's us, our family, our kids, whatever it is, who we can't get antibiotics. You don't want to be in a situation where a respiratory infection with a bacterial bacterium um, turns into something more serious, develops into a pneumonia. Far out. Who am I? Am I Kendrick Perkins? A, a pneumonia, and that leads to further complications, skin infections that travel and lead to um, deeper infections and sepsis. Like that sort of stuff is, is quite bad. And it sounds like I'm being extreme, but this stuff can happen really quickly. And that's why antibiotics are important to have. And having access to them at home can honestly be a literal lifesaver. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics that treats a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, URTIs, sinusitis, skin, infact- skin infections, STIs, the whole kit and caboodle. Go to jacemedical.com, complete your physician encounter, get a board-certified physician to check over it, talk to you, ask the questions you need, and then a licensed pharmacy will distribute it to you at a fraction of the cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. Go to jacemedical.com, use the offer code locked on to get $20 off your order. I feel like I'm talking at a million miles an hour today, so I do apologize uh, if I am going pretty fast. All right, so we've talked must roster here. Let's talk droppable players. Get that garbage out of here. Just again, a quick note. What does a droppable player mean? I am not going to come to your house and put a gun to your head. I might if you're really annoying. I'm not. I'm not I, guns? Never, never literally seen a gun in real life, but that's because I live here. Droppable players. I'm not going to come and tell you what to do. I'm not going to come and tell you to drop this guy, but what I am suggesting, if these guys are on your roster, you should look at it and go, huh, do I actually need to hold? 
that's that's the idea of this list. It's not like, well, you must go and get rid of these players. You got to go. You got to get rid of them. Bud Heald is on my list for category. This is category lease. Bud Heald. He's had some good games. He has some bad games. In fact, Gennaro Gattuso might even frame that a different way. At the moment, with the way they're distributing the minutes, I just don't think you want to rely upon Bud every game. Now, Bud might get traded to a different team. He might get traded to a good team where he's a 25-minute-a-night gunner off the bench, getting 12 points with three threes. And is that something you want to hold on to? Not really. Is he going to get traded to a bad team who feature him in a 33-minute-a-night role? Almost definitely not. That's, that gets to the problem here. Like these guys, someone asked me, like, yeah, should I really be holding on to Malcolm Brogdon in case he gets traded? He's playing on one of the worst teams in the NBA and he plays like 18 minutes a night because of the guards they got there. Like, which team is going to be like, we need Brogdon to run 30 a night? I would say none of them. I even have the same question about D'Angelo Russell, who went off yesterday with a huge game with no LeBron. But is there really a team that looks at Russell and goes, yeah, can't wait to get him and be in charge of everything? Now, he's probably got a better chance of it than, say, a Brogdon or a Heald. But. Usually when these guys are moved, a lot of the time, they're moved into situations where they're more complementary than featured. And it drops their value. And that, that usually is what happens across the trade deadline. We've got the trade deadline show live, remember, Thursday, February 8th, 1.30 p.m. Eastern, is that you get more, huh, I think this guy's droppable versus, huh, this guy's a must-add. Usually. We'll see. I'm talking Bud Heald. I just don't think you need to hold. Punch Bob. Bobby Portis. We saw. Well, he had one good game. Uh, Thursday it was, and then nothing. We'll see what happens on Sunday. That game hasn't happened yet. But they've got a terrible schedule this week. They play only on Wednesday and uh, and Saturday. So nothing, a one game that's not, uh, and it's not even a, high, a low volume day through Monday, Friday. You just not need to hold on to him. Cam Thomas was much better in that game in Paris. I just think that the lack of statistical and categorical diversity in his game means he's just not a hold. You don't know if he's going to play 30 minutes or 24 minutes. You don't know if he's going to take 70 shots. Well, actually you do. But you don't know if he's going to hit 30% of them or 40% of them. He's an interesting streamer when you're looking at points. His value in a points league is higher, but he's not a must-roster guy. I have to put Russell Westbrook on here because, come on. Get that garbage out of here! Why are people holding? Are you guys okay? Why is he still rostered in 80-plus percent? What is actually going on? If you are watching this program, if you are listening to this show on audio, be a double bang and come to the video and explain to me, I roster Russell Westbrook and I have real problems. Like, tell me what it is. Why are you doing it? Is there anybody watching this or listening to this who has Russell Westbrook on a 12-team roster? Please speak up. Malcolm Brogdon, I don't think you need to hold. Like I just detailed, I don't think that Brogdon's getting traded somewhere where it's like, all right, Brogdon's our 30-minute-a-night 30, 30 starter, and he's going to be great. I could be wrong on that. We're still four weeks away from it, and like, was he 20 minutes a night? Like, I just don't think it's worth the hold. You don't have to do it, especially with Shaden Sharp injured at the moment. Who knows how long he's out? If you want to hold Brogdon, do it. But I, if I looked at my roster and he was there, I go, yeah, I think he's pretty expendable. And the same goes with Jalen Green, who's been better, but it's still the same stuff with him. It's like some points that can be inefficient with not great free throws, defensive stats are non existent, rebounds and three point volume and assists aren't super good. It's fine to hold him, absolutely, but it just isn't necessary. The projections don't love him. A lot of the ranking metrics don't love him. So if you're in a super strong position, you don't need to have him. Because I just haven't seen enough signs of improvement from old mate um, Jalen Green. Let's look at some points league drops. Like a Brogdon at the top there. I think that's pretty obvious. Buddy Hilda just talked about Bobby Portis, Russell Westbrook. And the last name on that list is Jaime Huckes. In a category league, I'm definitely holding on to Jaime without really any question at this point. Until things change and players come back, that's okay, right? I'd hold on to him. But in a points league, even with big minutes and everyone out, he's like 135th over the last two weeks, 140th for the season. That's not that good. 
And in a, in a points league, while he's definitely been much better than everyone expected, especially including me, unbelievable value for an 18th pick in a draft, that is all very good. But if you're only giving me the same value that someone is on the waiver wire, even though you're getting 36, 37 minutes a night with Butler, Hero, Lowry, all these guys missing time, then that's not a must-hold player in a points league to me. Because all I see is that that's going to probably get worse. And... If I stream that roster spot through in a points league, I would probably just get more value by playing five games of a waiver wire guy versus four games of Jaime Huckers. So I just don't see the point of him being a must roster player in a points format. Categories, his value has been higher and you definitely want to hold for now and we reassess it when things happen later on. It might get worse, it might not, I don't know. But what I do know is now for points leagues, he's just not doing enough to push things up with everything in his favor um, that makes it any better than having a waiver wire guy on my on my squad. That's where we're at with that. Uh, today's episode is also brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. The NFL season is officially over now. I believe they're not playing any more games, but you can still get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed. When you place a $5 bet, that is $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. You could be... You know, someone who thought the Miami Dolphins would win the Super Bowl. And I believe they've canceled the Super Bowl this season. So um, all those futures bets and all those decisions, it's all fine. We're, we're good because they're not actually going to be playing it anymore. But any bet that you have now, you don't even have to win it. You just got to place $5 in and you get $150 in bonus bets back. There's also so many different ways that you can bet. Did you know that they have parlays? Yeah. They've got the Parlay Hub where you can go in and check other people's parlays. You can create your own parlay. You can parlay other people's parlays onto your own parlays even and include same game live parlays. This is the Explore tab as well, and I'm sure they'll have a few little parlays littered through there. Go to fanjul.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. Fanjul is an official partner of the NFL, and don't forget to gamble responsibly. NFL season is still going. Um, Terms and conditions. I'm just a Salty Dolphins fan. All right, let's go through... We've done the droppables. What are we going to do next? Let's look at the most added players across the fantasy basketball landscape. I just realized I'm just going so slow here. I feel like I'm talking at a million miles an hour. You're going really slow. Xavier Tillman, one of the most added players. We've spoken about him already. He's up 39%. Isaiah Jackson up 29%. Did not see that coming. That is, there's a couple of ways to look at that. That is massive chasing. He's up 29%. He had four steals, four blocks. It was great last game. It's a big reminder you don't get those stats. But he is in an okay position. His minutes have been over 15 the last two games. Sticks is playing at power forward, so Jackson gets the backup center minutes, and he can at any point, like we talked about on the streaming show yesterday. He's one of those guys that you're not going to get a block out of him, Peyton Watson style. You might get five, you might get eight. You might get 15 blocks out of him in one game. Like, no, that's not even exaggeration. That would be if they canceled fouls, but you might get it. So, yeah, I understand it, but it is a lot of people. And the same with everyone chasing Jabari Walker after he had a huge game last time. If DeAndre Ayton plays, that's going to be a useless ad, I'm guessing. He was awesome last game, played 30 minutes. What do you have, 20 and 10? He had some stupidly big number. It's just not a long-term solution, and it is chasing a little bit. I don't mind it for Sunday desperation, though. Duncan Robinson, up 5,000 ads. I, he, I put him as the focus, as the thumbnail guy on the streaming show for Sunday. His value would rise even further if Tyler Hero was out, but a guy that can influence your free throws, get sneaky assists, and there's no one on the wire that does that, um, can score, can hit some threes. That makes a lot of sense. If Hero remains out, he holds as a 12. When Hero's back, he moves into streaming territory. Obi Toppin's up almost 4,500 spots. This is, again, partly Sunday, but also they've got a Sunday-Monday back-to-back, both the Heat and the Pacers, and they've got a five-game in eight-night schedule starting on Sunday. So these maybe that's part of the Jackson thing. 
thing as well. The Jackson, the Robinson, the Obi Top, and the Caleb Martin. The back-to-back helps them. They've got a little bit of value here and a nice, strong stretch of games without them being strong, must-roster guys long-term. Robinson, Toppin, Caleb Martin, and even Isaiah Jackson to a lesser extent, there's, you're getting a little bit of a schedule bump there. So it's hard to argue with the value of those, but Robinson, Toppin, Martin... Jackson Walker. I don't see long-term 12-team must roster status associated with them. Tillman, maybe. There's a definite possibility with the cashier himself. Get that garbage out of here! Who have been the most dropped players? That is the question you've been asking. And the number one on that list is Michael Futz, who is down 15%. I'm okay with that. I thought he looked better last game, but it's also in this situation, ready to start week 13, where if someone's not actually helping you enough now, you just might need to make the hard calls. Now, if someone's got top 40 upside, you probably don't cut them. But if Markel Fultz's best case is top 100, which I think it might be with back-to-back sitting, maybe limited minutes, the knee going at any point, the shot, is it busted? Maybe. I just don't think you need to hold him. Interesting to see Brandon Pajemski, one of the most dropped players, after he went bananas yesterday. Now, he did go bananas yesterday, but it was a game, and it's always context-dependent, there was no Steph Curry. And his games prior to that had stunk. Now, no one is debating that Pajemski is really good because I think he is. I think he's top four in basically all advanced stats for rookies. It's Chet, it's Victor very clearly at the top. Then it's like Lively. It's a mixture of Lively, Jackson Davis, and Pajemski who fill the next spots. Sort of you know, different, different spots there. The problem there is that Pajemski is having some shooting difficulties. The minutes are all over the place. The usage is low. Even though he impacts winning, it actually does at this point in his career, which is amazing to say. The fantasy stats aren't consistent enough. So he's been dropped, and, and I get it. If Steph remains out, you add him back in. And I think he's a fringe guy, probably more 14 at this stage. Kevin Love was dropped. He wasn't particularly good last game. The minutes have been down the last couple. I still think he remains an interesting stream player. The uh, the top three most dropped players over on Yahoo was Mo Wagner. I think if um, Wendell Carter remains out and Franz remains out, then Mo still does have appeal. He wasn't very good last game, but that is, again, people going, ugh, I added you and you did nothing. Let's move on. And I get it because the long-term value is not really there for Mo, but I think he'll be someone we can still re-add if players remain sidelined. Chris Dunn, we saw him getting 24 minutes a night. I'm going to talk about Dunn a little bit more in a second, but he was getting 24 a night. And the last two on a back-to-back, he played like 17 and 22, but that 22 was like six minutes of garbage time. And that's not exciting. And the fact that we saw Keontae George look much better as the Jazz continue to be, honestly, over the last month, are they a top five NBA team? Which is, um, I know that sounds hyperbolic. And I don't actually have the record in front of me. Go and have a look. Over the last month, are they a top five team? I think they are. Which, again, is insane. Um, But if Dunn plays 17, he's not worth it. If he plays 23, he is in 14 team leagues. In a 12, he was worth a stream for that back-to-back. But we can move on. That's okay. And the other one is the Duck Luke Canard, which is insane to me. Why has he been dropped in 2,400 leagues? We know what happened in Memphis. Jar is out. Marcus Smart is out. Desmond Bain is in a boot and on crutches. Why are you dropping Luke Kennard? By the way, Luke Kennard has missed two free throws in the last two years. None this season. I think the last one he missed was in March 2023. We're on a Kennard missed free throw watch, by the way. Remember when we're on Tone Snell missed free throw watch? We're on Kennard missed free throw watch now. Kennard should be on a 12-team roster. They don't have any guards. I'm going to talk about more Memphis Grizzlies players uh, very soon. Who are some hot players? You'll see that that man there was a guy that I just talked about as one of the most dropped players. The man on the little uh, graphic there is Chris Dunn because he's like a top 40 player in the last week per game. Yeah. But like we say, you don't get those games back now. If you did add him before those games, you're happy. If you've got him now, it's okay to move on because we did see some of that minute trend down and we saw a little bit more Keontae George. 
and 17 minutes of done just turns him into a steel streamer. So it can be very good to look at rankings and see what does it mean and how do we work this out. But it's also um, trends and context is important there too. Trace Jackson Davis, despite limited minutes, despite coming off the bench, he's been a top 100 player. I actually have no problem with rostering him over Pajemski in a 12-teamer and even over Kaminga in a category league, even though the minutes are whack. Now, they could be completely ruined when Draymond returns and they go with Sharaj and they go with Looney and then Draymond and Jackson Davis gets DMP'd. It would be a blight on Steve Kerr's coaching acumen, but it might happen. But even at the moment, like every game, like oh, here's 18 minutes. All right, 12 and five with two blocks. Okay, here's 27 minutes, 18 and three. Three blocks, 60%. All right. Oh, you got benched at halftime? Cool, I'll just have 13 and seven with two assists. They're all good numbers. It hasn't really mattered that much. And I was a little bit shocked to see him pushing like top 50 over the last week, despite the ups and downs. And, the, and we've all thought, oh, well, you just got to drop him now. But he's still been that good over the last week. I think he's okay to hold. Obi Toppin's been good the last week. A lot of that's coming on insanely high field goal percentage. Um, I'm not fully into that. There was a game that Jalen Smith missed there as well. But yeah, we know the Pacers have got a really good schedule coming up. So that's okay to look at. Paul Reed. Yep. Top 100. I know people love to shit on it, man. All you analysts, you just love Paul Reed. What are you doing? He's garbage. Well, if I can get a garbage player who is a top 100 player anytime that Joel Embiid is out, I'll take that garbage player. And yes, I was completely wrong on Paul Reed, assuming that he would get 24 minutes and I'd play next to um, Joel Embiid. I don't know where I heard that from. I don't know. It was someone with influence. Maybe his coach. Who told us that? It was his coach. But I got that wrong, clearly. But what we still know is that when Reed plays in 25 minutes, he's a top 100 player, which is exactly the idea that I had in taking him as a flyer in the draft. But he is a guy we can look at. The other one there, Christian Wood, who is a perennial off-court loser and a guy that's never been on a winning team in his life. Is it coincidence that the Lakers are out of the playing mix? Not really. But he is playing better. And that was a little bit of jokes, a little bit of funnies. But to be fair to Wood, he has been much better this season. He's overtaken, rightfully, Jackson Hayes in the rotation. He's probably only going to sit around 20 minutes. He's not being an insane usage player, which is part of his problem in the past. His free throws are back to being garbage, though. He's okay to consider as a stream guy, but he's more 14 to 16. But he's been top 100 over the last week. He's been there. And like again, that that has literally happened in limited minutes. And the other one there is big dick Nick Richards. I know people are going, why do you keep saying Nick Richards is must roster? Well, until Mark Williams comes back, he is. He's not for everybody. But he just shouldn't be sitting on a waiver wire. He's going to give you field goals. He's going to give you blocks. He'll give you some rebounds. He scores okay. He's not awesome. He's not blowing us away. He's not Jokic. He's not Embiid. He's not Sabonis. But there's enough value in him that I just think he needs to be rostered. He's been like 35% rostered for six weeks. Just needs to be more rostering going on with old mate Mark Williams. Not Mark Williams, Nick Richards. Mark Williams may be back this week. Who knows, though? It's the Hornets. Let's look at some injury replacement players. So we're talking about some guys who are getting some short-term bumps due to other players being injured. Let's run through a list here. I've got Cam Whitmore on this list. Two games ago, we saw him have an absolute stinker. Just when I said, all right, let's see. Maybe we'll try it in a 12-team league. And then he had, like, what, four points in 15 minutes. And then Dylan Brooks came back, and he was awesome. Yes, he played a lot of garbage time in that game. But the scoring is undeniable. Is he better than Jay Sean Tate? Probably. I don't know if Udoka is going to rely upon him there, but like Eason is still out and I don't know how long he's going to be. I don't think that we need to be looking at Cam as a must-roster 12-team league player. But he's definitely on the 16-team radar. I would add him. In 14s, I would consider it. And if you want to just try it in 12s, I don't have a problem with it. But the pathway to minutes is a little cloudy at this point. But I love what I've seen most games. Let's go to a couple of Grizzlies. Vince Williams... Again, the absence of Bain helped him. 
this is again when we talk chasing, right? Vince Williams was excellent yesterday. He was very good. So naturally, you get the comments, man, look at Vince Williams. He's an absolute must-add. Look at these numbers. And all, all I will say to that is, and I do agree, like he was a guy that I was saying, he's probably a 12-team ad. He's definitely a 14-team ad. He's probably a 12. Let's see what happens. But all you need to do is look back literally one game before and see Vince Williams have six points on and do nothing. Yes, and the Bane was in half of that game. Vince is not going to be, I'm guessing, a very, very high usage player. He's a good rebounder, good defensive stats guy. I love him as a player, and I do think he should be rostered. But be really cautious looking at that one game when there was literally a sample 24 hours before where he was not very good. And he's going to be on the fringes, I'm guessing, but you still got to roster him. And the other one is GG Jackson. Now, I didn't expect GG to do that yesterday, but I did say that Keep an eye on this because they have nobody who can create a shot. And the only player on their roster who creates their own shot is Gregory Jackson II. And with Desmond Bain out, Gregory Jackson II came in, had 30-plus usage, scored really well. Grizzlies fans are clamoring for him to be a big part of the rotation. I think they got an absolutely gigantic steal at number 45. I know that I think I had him... Did I have him in the lottery? If I didn't, I had him in the top 20 of the draft very easily. I think I had him close to the lottery. There are people who had him top 10 in the draft. He's the youngest player in the NBA. And he cooked. He's averaging over 20 in the G League as well. The problem here is that how do we judge this with no Bane, no Jaron, no Santi? Should he play every minute instead of David Roddy and Jake LaRavia? Of course he should. Should he play minutes over spuds like John Concha? Yes. What position is he? He's like a, a, a lead power forward, small forward. Think, oh God, this is going to sound terrible. Think LeBron, right? A guy who is six foot nine, small forward-ish power forward, but you're... You're not like a rebounding sort of a play. You're just a high usage, bigger wing. He's not LeBron. He's not a passer like LeBron. That's not the comment. I mean more like the body size and the level of usage that he that he plays or that he does and creates his own shot. This is probably a much better example. I was going to say Pascal Siakam, but I think he's more of a shot creator than like a Siakam is anyway. So I wouldn't go and add GG, but I'll tell you this right now. In industry pickup, Alex McLean added him and that's a 12-team league. While Santi and Jaron are out and Desmond Bain are out, absolutely no problem with trying GG Jackson. No problem at all. You, I, I, said, I said this yesterday before he actually played that game. Nobody can create a shot. He might have to be relied upon to create shots. And he did. The thing is that when Bain comes back and when Jaron is there, who's not really a shot creator, but sort of, then that opportunity does drop. But they are going to, at some point, be completely useless. Gigi's going to play 35 a night and be a top 40 player in fantasy for a period of time in March, I'm guessing. So if you want to get ahead of it, do it. Got Domi Barlow there. The Trojan with Zach Collins out. Barlow's the backup. He started the last game. He's worth it at least in 14s for now and streamable in 12s. And there's a back-to-back coming up next weekend. You can throw Mamu on there as well for that back-to-back. Caleb Houston's on there. This man takes about 87% of his shots from three. They're going in at a pretty strong rate. And with Franz Wagner out, he is starting. I think he's got way more value than a Tumor OKK. Um, do they continue to start OKK and Houston while Wagner is out? Because Gary Harris is out as well. They're playing Suggs at point guard. Fultz and Mr. Black aren't playing or aren't starting. Jet Howard apparently doesn't even exist on this team. What a wasted pick that is. But two of those picks, the people thought were awesome. Grady Dick and Jet Howard. Holy shit, they've been terrible. Terrible. Like... Even their G League numbers are like, what is going on with it? I'm not writing them off at all. But Jesus Christ, they've been terrible. And it's also worth remembering, just as a side note, you know, you love side notes, that I see Raptors fans complaining a lot. Shocking, I know. Man, we could have had Jordan Hawkins. We took Grady Dick. This guy's dreadful. Oh, man, what a disaster. Another L from the front office. And I'm not going to be one to sit here and defend Masai Ujiri all that often because I think he makes a lot of poor moves. 
or has in recent times outside of all the awesome ones he made earlier on. But Grady Dick's like three years younger than what Jordan Hawkins is. So maybe let's get back to what Grady Dick is in three years' time and see if he's equivalent to what Hawkins is now. Age is something that we pay attention to. Well, not all of us. A lot of us pay attention to him in the draft. As soon as someone plays their first NBA game, you're a rookie, so you're the same. It is worth mentioning that, again, Grady Dick, at the, four, the fourth year of his rookie contract, will be the same sort of spot where like a Huckers or a Hawkins and those sort of guys are right now. That's where they'll be in their development. And it's a huge difference. It is a huge difference. Anyway, Caleb Houston streaming for threes. And the other one I got there is David Roddy, who has been like 99th, I think, over the last week. I don't buy David Roddy as a player at all or even a fantasy guy. He did start at power forward. And if he's going to start and play 30-plus minutes with Jaron and Santi out, you've at least got to consider it. I just don't value him as a player. I think his efficiency is bad. I think he's like 330th or something for the season, and he's had many chances to start. He's one of those ones where he starts, and then Taylor Jenkins goes, oh, no, what am I doing? And he pulls him off. I don't know what he does in the locker room, but he definitely doesn't keep him in the starting lineup. So David Roddy is okay to have a cracker, but I would much rather Vince, I would much rather Xavier, I would much rather big fella Greg Jackson here instead of a David Roddy. But, you know, I also am just a non-believer in David Roddy. And then lastly, let's look at some other names that are important for us to talk about. Um... I could have had him on the injury replacement board, but we're just going to slot him in here. Jonte Porter, Thad Young, what, 29 minutes, 24 minutes, 12 minutes, the three starts. The 12 minutes was a foul trouble game, but Porter stepped up and he looked great. And Porter was in the rotation before Thad Young was dusted off and demummified into the starting rotation. Porter looked great. I added Porter in a 14-team league, and I think you can do that there. I really don't think he's going to be that 30-minute-a-night player, but he looks better than Chris Boucher, not hard. He, I think he's a better option than... Thad Young, I think, just to see what he can do. And he's one of those guys that in college, before he tore his ACL for the 17th time, that had an unbelievable fantasy profile. Points, rebounds, threes, blocks, assists, and percentages. He could do everything, but he just couldn't stay healthy. And if you're not aware of who Jonte is, it's Michael Porter's brother. Yeah, he's an interesting player. I've got Kevin Knox and Marvin Bagley there. I talked about them already at the start. I was going to be funny and do Kevin Knox the second, Marvin Bagley the third, then Lonnie Walker the fourth, just as guys we could talk about, but I didn't want to do that. But Kevin Knox, at least his deeper leagues, I think this does help some of his value, but Isaiah Stewart back stops him from being any a 12-team streamer. Bagley's in that 14 to 16-team zone. We'll see. If they do a minute split between Gafford and Bagley, then they are definitely determined to lose, but we will find out. Bagley is only a deeper league guy, more a points league player than category leagues. Dwop Reith has been solid enough. I'm not super into him as a um, as a must-roster player, especially with Jabari back and Aiton maybe back. It's also worth mentioning. I talked about those rookies with their high advanced stats and Chet and Victor and Lively and Pajemski and Jackson Davis. The sixth sixth name of rookies in that list is Reith. He's been unbelievable from an impact perspective. The problem is he's like 28. So he's a rookie, but he's 28. Shout out to the Australian legend, Dwop Reith. And the last two names there, Benedict Matherin, who has an extra opportunity here with um, Tyrese out, but it's the same stuff from him. And part of the reason why he's just not a good category league player is he's extraordinarily empty. He can score, but efficiency and field goal percentage can be down. Three volume is not good. Rebounds, assists, steals, blocks. He's never even met them. He doesn't even know what they look like. So he's one of those guys that can help with points, which is great for a points league as well. And he can be an influence in free throw percentage. But overall, he's a fringe category league player with more value in a points league. And the last one there is Keontae George, who I thought looked really good last game. He's taking minutes, he's siphoning minutes away from Chris Dunn. If George plays 30 minutes, I'll be into adding him in 12s. He is definitely just a luxury stash at this point. I wouldn't say that he's a must-roster 12-team category league player at all, 
but his trajectory was looking good before he got hurt, and then it's taken him a little bit of time to get back. And he, over his last 10 games, he's like two-point percentage, which has been 43 all season. I think it's 51. So the shots are starting to fall. If they can continue to fall, I don't know that they will. And he's still lacking with his steal numbers, and he doesn't get to the line a ton, although that is up as well. He's just someone that we need to just watch to see where it trends. Like, if the 26 turns into 29 next game, then I go, ah, oh, maybe we get ahead of it. Not, not 100% convinced, but maybe we get ahead of it. And that is an absolutely long-ass waiver wire show. You guys know what to do, I think. You double bang. You come across here. You leave your outrageous comments of the outrageous things that I've said over here on YouTube down below. You ring the bell, Anita Ward. You thumb it up. You leave comments, all that stuff. And on audio, you follow, you tell friends, you leave reviews, all that stuff is awesome. Guys, we're done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.